Hi, my name is Ian Khan, and I'm the author of Cloud Wars, The Internet of Things and the Future of Innovation, Make Me Like You, 21 Steps, and Get Ahead. I recently attended the second Canadian Crowdfunding Association conference held here in Toronto. I met with a lot of crowdfunding fanatics, experts, lenders, vendors, and simply companies that are leveraging the power of crowdfunding to drive results, whether it's financial, product-wise, or otherwise. I also had some very interesting conversations with companies that are really, really going against the grain to disrupt the market. In today's episode, we'll speak with three different companies that are disruptors in their own zone. To learn more about the National Crowdfunding Association of Canada, visit them at ncfacanada.org. So grab a cup of coffee and let's listen to some very interesting conversations. We are here at the Canadian Crowdfunding Conference, and I'm speaking with Arti Modi, who is the CEO of Lending Arc, a Calgary-based company that focuses on uh, on a new type of funding. Uh, Arti, welcome to the show, and uh, tell us about your company. Thanks so much, Ian. So, um, a little bit about myself and our and our background. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Lending Arc. Uh, we're a digital finance brand, and uh, the mission and the mantra behind everything that we're doing is financial advancement for Canadians. So the very first product that we're bringing to market is a lending product, and that product is really designed to bring consumer loans to Canadians. Um, we lend anywhere from $1,000 to $40,000, and our goal here is to disrupt the credit card market. Um, we are able to underwrite what we call prime and super prime borrowers, which is exactly what the banks are able to do. But I think that our real competitive advantage is that we've built a digital platform using algorithms and databases that we're able to tap into within seconds to be able to underwrite the 9 million millennials that are made up of those that have thin credit file, those that have newly emigrated to the country, uh, includes people who are divorcees that have relied on their spouse's credit, and all those people that have what the banks would call a thin credit, and because of that, the banks aren't able to underwrite them and offer them responsible rates for the loans that they're taking. Now, our platform and our underwriting and our, our way of doing our digital algorithms enables us to underwrite that massive segment of Canadians, but the goal being that we can be that provider of responsible debt and responsible credit versus expensive debt that credit cards is putting them into. So you earlier mentioned the fact that millennials are, are kind of facing a unique problem in terms of finances. Given that you know some some of the older generations, the X and the Ys, uh, funded their children, funded their education, funded the housing and everything else. Now it's the time of millennials where they're going out in, into the market. They're trying to buy a house. They're trying to do so many th different things. How do you plan to disrupt uh, the banking industry and help millennials get access to credit uh, and and carry on with their lives? 
it's a really good point. It's really something that's very important to us. So let's just step back for a second. So I am a millennial, and let's talk about what's important to me. Transparency is important to me. Accessibility is important to me. And just a good understanding of what it is that I'm getting into is important to me. And I find that as a millennial, and so do my peers, that the banks just simply are evasive when it comes to those types of things, whether it's using really complicated, long jargon, whether it's stacks and stacks of paperwork that needs to be filled out, or whether it's just a lack of transparency. So what our platform and what other digital platforms are doing to disrupt the market here in Canada really is, is breaking down those barriers and breaking down those walls. And what that ultimately does is it makes platforms like ours really appealing to millennials. Because for the first time, we're speaking to them as a person. We're approaching them with transparency and we're making things really clear in terms of what they're getting into and what kind of product we can do for them. But the most important thing, and this is something that the banks are seriously lacking, in my opinion, is education. So we're not here to take a customer and say, let's get you a loan, let's get you out of your expensive debt, and then see you, let's go along our way and get to the next customer. Now our goal and our mission as a company here, beyond the fact that we want our clients to financially advance, is that we want every single one of our customers to be an evangelist for our company and to say, because of companies like Lending Art, we're able to financially advance. We're able to pay off our really expensive credit card debt. I mean, some of the statistics around these things are astounding. Uh, if I take out a $5,000 credit card and I pay off just the minimum payment, it's going to take me 66 years to pay off that credit card and I'm going to pay over $23,000 in interest payments versus a platform like ours who are fully transparent, will tell you exactly what you're going to pay on the very first month of you taking a loan out with us and on top of that you have a fixed term and a fixed loan rate. So you know exactly what you're getting into. We don't use heavy jargon. We use language that millennials and in fact all generations are able to understand which gives them what is lacking in the industry, which is that education. And then education, I believe, leads to financial literacy, and financial literacy then leads to financial advancement. So what that enables us to do is really attack a $542 billion credit market that is outstanding right now, and that we and platforms like us are able to come in and disrupt. Excellent. You, you mentioned earlier, uh, you mentioned how, how banks uh, are, are working the way they are working. Now, a company like yours is a major disruptor in the market and definitely banks are going to look at you as, as somebody uh, you know, similar to, to the automobile industry where uh, the renewal, uh, renewals and, and the battery-operated cars are not really friends of the oil companies. Uh, so two different, two different things. Uh, similarly, I mean, you're one of uh, potentially a major disruptor of the market. Now, what kind of response have you seen from the major banks or the financial sector so far? Have you seen any feedback that yeah. you can share with us? It's really interesting. So we kind of take two different positions on this. We stand back and we say, well, you know, if we were a bank, how would we look at companies like us? Because we are out there to disrupt the business that they're doing. But then the flip side is if you take our credit spectrum and the people we're lending to, we're lending to the people that the banks just can't touch. They're not able to touch that millennial group that have the thin file, that have credit scores below 660 or 670. So it puts us in a unique position. It actually puts our company in a position where we're getting approached for strategic partnerships with banks because we're able to underwrite all the people that they literally have to turn down and say, I'm sorry, we can't lend to you. So that puts us in the position where we're able to partner with banks. And I can't say that banks are going to go the way of the dinosaurs. Uh, it's not going to be that way. Banks, um, they're going to be around. And it's just a way of figuring out how to partner with them rather than to completely take away uh, the essence of what the banks are trying to do. 
And have you had any conversations outside of Canada with, with banks? Uh, Absolutely. In the we States? have. We've talked to banks in the U.S. We've talked to financial institutions in the U.S. We've talked to community banks in the U.S. And right now the positive uh, news that's coming out of all those conversations is that there's relationships to be made there. I think what the banks are really seeing with platforms like LendingArc is that we've got very slick UI UX. We've got outstanding customer service. I mean, at the other, at the other end of the spectrum, the other thing that millennials are looking for is customer service. They want somebody that they can speak to on the other end of the line that can understand and can explain to them you know, questions like, what does my credit score mean? I mean, 50% of Canadians don't even know what the credit score is, let alone know what a 650 or a 750 credit score means to them. I mean, what does it directly mean to impact my life? And we build those financial literacy and educational courses directly into our platform, and we actually encourage the borrowers to go through those courses, and when they do that, we can reward them financially, whether it's through rate reductions or whether it's through some type of referral program but we're all about trying to empower the end borrower so that they don't get into heavy credit and debt situations and I think that the banks are recognizing that because it's not something or a direction that they intend to go in uh, we're not seeing it as similar to the robo-advisor platforms where you're seeing banks actually trying to replicate what robo-advisor is doing and they're saying hey if, the, if these digital startups are able to do that we can do it too we just need a technology team behind it you actually haven't seen any banks that have actually come out with an online lending platform. Instead, what you've seen is partnerships and relationships behind the scenes, where it's either powered by this bank or um, we're bringing in, the, the banks bring in the customers and the deal flow, which is one of the challenges of a digital platform. It's trying to attract the right customers. Um, but partnering the bank would enable platforms like us to be able to do that. And then we can service the borrowers in a way that the banks just aren't able to do, but have a cohesive partnership with them. Excellent. Uh, let me ask you a question about technology. Uh, a lot of what is happening within the industry today, especially with crowdfunding or, uh, let's say, microfinance or digital finance, is uh, in in one way or the other uh, a result of technology being where it is, and you know, the cloud and and the web technology is reaching that stage. How do you guys at Lending Arc touch technology or work with technology to make make this happen? Technology is the crux of our platform. I mean, without technology, we wouldn't be able to do what we're able to do today. Um, so we built from scratch one of the most robust technology platforms. We believe in the lending landscape and it's taken over a year to architect and it's taken some minds that have come from the banking industry to be able to bring in some of the regulatory and compliance aspects into it. But then we've also plugged in all of the social channels for the digital side of things to be able to make this really cohesive, um, analytical and regulatory uh, platform that is enabling us to be able to take the human aspect out of loan generation and loan origination. What it does is it allows us to be 24-7, it allows us to respond 24-7, it allows us to underwrite 24-7. So without technology, we wouldn't be able to do that. More importantly, what it does is it allows us to plug into different databases in seconds to be able to underwrite the borrower. So I'm not saying that our platform looks at your Facebook profile to see how many friends you have or your Twitter profile to see who follows you. We're not interested in that kind of social background, but what we are interested in too is being able to plug into um, things like your bank account statements to be able to look at the last 90 days history of what your banking looks like. And that will enable us within seconds to be able to say, you know, what is the financial behavior behind this type of a borrower? We're able to do things called 
behavioral heuristics, which I'd never heard of five years ago, but today it's the most astounding movement in technology. When a borrower comes to our platform, we can see how fast they're filling out the paperwork. And if they're filling it out within two seconds, we know that that's a fraud detection. We know that there's an Autobot behind it that has scripted the ability to underwrite things. And that's what technology allows us to do. It allows us to speed up the online process because we're able to underwrite somebody within about 45 seconds, we can pre-qualify a borrower. And within about three to five minutes, we can actually underwrite them and approve them for a loan. And that's only because we're able to tap into so many different online databases, whether it's for forward prevention or whether it's for our credit algorithms. It, it's all enabled through technology. So tell us more about what is going to happen to this industry and technologies that power this industry in the next five to ten years. What do you see as your vision uh, for lending arch and also the industry in general? Okay, well let's bring it down a level and let's say what's going to happen in the next year to, t year to two years first. And I think in that time span you're going to see uh, a globalization and you're going to see a serious democratization of finance. And what that means is that people are going to start to get educated about what credit card debt looks like. They're going to become aware that there's other sources of financing that they can look to, whether it's online lending platforms or crowdfunding in general. Uh, it's bringing around this entire new level of capital to the market that never really existed before. And I think that's going to do some very powerful things in the market. It's also going to bring about some failures as well, because there are going to be people and platforms that don't have either the capitalization behind them to be able to perform. One of the jokes in the industry and something that we talk about a lot in our company is that fintech is a really interesting word. Um, we think of ourselves as the fin in tech, um, but then there's other platforms that are the tech in fintech. And you really need to have a blend of the two, but without the finance aspect of it, at the end of the day, you're ultimately a capital market platform. You're talking about people's finances, you have to manage credit risk, you're working with technology to be able to make things more automated and more efficient, but at the end of the day, you are a finance platform. You have to be, you have to go through the ty types of regulations that are existing in the marketplace today. And so one of the things that I see that's happening in the next year to two, five to ten years, is regulations are going to become far more apparent and far more strict. Um, today, regulations are quite unclear as to where all the different platforms lie, and I think that those lines are going to become clearer as we start to work with the regulators and start to make our voice heard, and the regulators start to work with us and try to understand exactly what the benefit is that we're bringing to the marketplace. In addition to that, I think you're going to see a lot of strategic partnerships, and I don't just mean lending art partnering with banks and institutions. You're going to see us partner with everything from car dealerships right through to insurance companies to completely disruptive technologies that don't even exist today but will in five years. Um, there's so many places that our company and companies that are in that digital finance brand are being able to go right now. It's outstanding. So the opportunities are immense. You're going to see companies like us, Lending Arc, we're going to get into other types of financial products that we can offer to the millennials. Because at the end of the day, I mean, we're gathering so much big data about the clients. We're able to say and be able to predict things in the future, like when is this borrower going to default? Why are they going to default? How can we prevent them from defaulting? So we're going to get into types of budgeting platforms so that we can actually enable the borrower not to get to that position. So you're going to see a lot of predictive modeling and a lot of predictive technologies emerge out of this space, which are only going to enhance, ultimately, the benefit to the consumer. Thank you so much for your time, uh, RT. We hope you have a great conference, and we look forward to uh, reading about Lending Art. Thank you very much, and enjoy the show. Thanks so much, Ian. I really appreciate your time. And that was RT Modi, CEO and co-founder of Calgary-based Lending Arc. We also spoke 
with the founding team of Dubuc Motors, a revolutionary Canadian car company that's focusing on a very high-end electric luxury vehicle market, and that too leveraging the power of crowdfunding. With me right now are Mario and Mike, both co-founders of Dubuc Motors, who are disrupting uh, the electric vehicle industry through a crowdfunding platform. Mike, tell us about your company. What we're doing is we're developing a 2 plus 2 all-electric sports car. Uh, right now in the market, there are none. We want to be included in the automotive industry, but out of the big automakers' reach. So stay in niche markets, target a smaller scale vo uh, volume. And Mario, uh, how do you feel the industry is at this moment in time in terms of being receptive to an electric vehicle? I think the market, the market is right on right now. People want electric cars. The demand is higher than what the manufacturer can produce. So we are right in time, we are there, and people will want the car. Now, you're going into a very specific niche within the electric vehicles, and I believe it's, it's a luxury, super high-performance vehicle. Uh, what kind of demand are we looking at within, within a global market, and not just Canada? It's a huge market. Everybody wants a sports car. Everyone wants to be green. And we target, like Mike said, a niche market. So it's a two plus two. We target the big and tall people. So six foot five, 300 pounds, we can sit in the car. So we'll be alone in our market. Right now, you can't find that. Somebody who wants to drive a, a sports car, forget about electric, but let's stay with a, a gas engine. Somebody that's six, point, uh, six, feet foot, uh, six feet tall can't fit comfortably. It'll be a nice joy ride for uh, 20, 30 minutes, but he can't go you know, uh, on a long trip with his wife, let alone bring luggage. So we're, we have the practicality of a sedan, but in a sports vehicle. And we have all of the advantage of a sports car. It's a four-wheel drive. We've got two motors. We've got zero to 100 in about uh, 3.2 seconds. It's very fast quick and fun to drive. Excellent. Now, interestingly, you've chosen the model of crowdfunding uh, to, to, to fund the project, to fund the product. Uh, what are your experiences so far? Well, it's great. Um, what better way than to have backers, followers, brand ambassadors sell your product for you? I mean, basically, the people that back us are ambassadors of the company and they believe in the product. So when you're selling an idea, you're sharing with people a vision and to have them on board, it's really it's something historic, it's something very special. Yeah, because it's not only crowdfunding, it's equity crowdfunding what we do. We do. So people will reserve share and be part of the, the company. So they will have a comeback of this after. So if I may ask, what prompted you to look into crowdfunding or specifically equity crowdfunding? Uh, tell us more about your actual uh, decision-making or let's say the steps that you kind of took uh, just for all the other followers of crowdfunding and people who want to get into the industry by crowdfunding. What were your initial steps that you kind of took to make the final decision that, you know what, equity crowdfunding is something that I need to go for? Because we, we, we tried different ways with VCs and people wealthy with money, try to gain capital. It was impossible for us. We tried in the regular crowdfunding, but you know, the car is an expensive car. Couldn't sell the car like this. So to go at equity, equity is good because a lot of people, they can put a hundred bucks to a million bucks in the company and be part of it and have shares of the company. Excellent. Since we don't have a tangible product, 
it's not something that we could offer as a perk, right? So it was a no-brainer for us once the uh, equity, the, the new jobs act came out on June 19th to, to follow this route. It's a big project. It's not a million dollars where we're looking for a big amount. So to, again, to go find angels and to try to convince them, why not go with a single click of a button and reach the masses? Um, so that portal gives us that ability and to get a lot of backers and followers. That's a huge testimony to crowdfunding in general, is that, is that products that are complex, uh, products that have a long design cycle can now be, uh, can leverage crowdfunding platforms, whether it's in equity or any other form, and that's excellent. Uh, now, the automobile industry itself is a very big driver of, let's say, economies worldwide, North America, uh, Japan, or be it China or anywhere else. And slowly but surely, car companies have been coming out with their own versions of hybrid uh, electric cars. There's every manufacturer has their own electric car uh, at this moment in time, or even hybrids. Uh, I know you mentioned, Mario, uh, before that it's, uh, it's, it's, and you mentioned as well, Mike, that it's about, the, you know, a larger frame person fitting in. It's about a specific niche market uh, that's going to uh, buy these cars. How do you see the electric car market generally developing over the next five to ten years? Uh, do you have any insights since you live within that industry, you're, you're from inside that industry? How do you see this transforming? And there's also the Google uh, automated uh, cars on the roads now. How do you feel about the industry in general as a trend? Which, which direction is it going into? Mike? I think everybody wants an electric car or they're thinking, contemplating of getting one. How the big automakers are going to form their structure around that because there's a lot less maintenance. There. The upkeep, the cost of ownership is a lot different. And with the dealership model that they currently have, that's something to be explored. But I do believe that everybody's going to have an electric car the near future we're talking about 10 years from now 10 20 years i think bluebird came out with a, a data report by 2022 electric vehicles are going to cost less than gas vehicles so i mean we're headed that way how everything is going to fall into place it's another story but it's definitely the future of course and in times of uh, oil prices going up and down it's uh, it's a bit of uh, an unknown area mario what do you think I, I think our car is not related to people that will want to save save gas or money. It, it's people who will want a nice car and drive an electric one with a lot of power. That's it. It's not related to gasoline. Not in our market. If you look at a, a Bolt, a little car like this that will cost about 30000 people will, will say, okay, I'll save some money. But we have a highly priced car, like 110000 So. It's not the same market. People want that car. They want to look at it. It's sexy. It's powerful. They like it. They will buy it. So really, the idea that the two of you have had with this car is to go into a niche market with a very niche product uh, and not just hit the mainstream, which is very, very surgical. So you're trying to penetrate a market that just does not exist right now. That's a very clever strategy. Yeah, the, the, mar the, the, the market exists, but nobody's serving it. Okay, so. If we want to try to go in the mass market, we're going to be killed by the manufacturer. Right now, going to niche will be alone there. That's the, the, the way we want to do it. If we're alone, we can have a nice market. Mike, what do you think? I think this vehicle appeals to somebody who wants to make a statement. I mean, um, somebody who's you know not only rich, maybe successful, um, who's looking, yeah, you know, to make a, a statement. Um, 
at the production level that we're aiming 1,500 units worldwide is not a big amount. Uh, and again, it's more practical. I mean, how many people do we meet that are in their 40s, 50s, they have families, and they just can't get a sports car anymore because either the wife you know, says, well, we have a baby on board or whatever, it's just not practical. So this brings back you know, something that maybe they left behind and they gave up. Now they can rekindle you know, what, they, what, they, what they had in their youth. Absolutely. Uh, any last comments? Where can uh, our listeners check out your car, check out your campaign? Is there a website? Is there, is there an address? Yeah, they could go to Dubuc Motors, D-U-B-U-C Motors.com, or on our campaign page at StartEngine.com, uh, and look for our page there. All right, thank you for your time. Mario and Mike with Dubuc Motors disrupting the automobile electric vehicle market. Thank you, guys. I also spoke with Peter Van Hoeken, CEO of FrontFunder, a Vancouver-based crowdfunding platform that launched a new offering. FrontFunder is the bridge that connects investors and entrepreneurs. We are at the Canadian Crowdfunding Summit and I'm speaking with Peter Paul Van Hoeken from FrontFunder. Hi, Peter. How's Hi. your day going today? Very well. It's um, a pleasure to be here at the conference. It's been uh, very interesting so far. Excellent. Tell us something about uh, FrontFunder. So FrontFunder is um, an online funding investment platform. We launched last May 2015, uh, and we closed the first transactions using both existing and new rules, crowdfunding rules in Canada. Uh, today, we launched a new new transaction, a new, a new offering on our platform using uh, the recently uh, introduced new rules in Ontario and four other provinces. So I would say we're definitely leading in this space and we're, uh, we're operating in a way where we combine, we can, we can maximize investor outreach by using all available uh, rules out there. Perfect. And absolutely, the, as, as we're also hearing at the conference, crowdfunding is opening up an entire new area. Uh, of industry, of regulations, of, of banking. So why don't we talk about, let's say, the banking sector to start off with, and we'll, we'll go into a few more areas. How do you see crowdfunding really transforming the banking industry or affecting the banking industry? Right. So uh, traditionally, if you look at the, the, the crowdfunding or investment crowdfunding, equity crowdfunding, anything to do with investing in a company, um, companies at that stage, early stage companies were unable to attract capital from banks. Typically they're too early, they're unbankable. So the banks have to date not, not been participating in this space of helping uh, young companies raise capital. So it is creating a new market where, um, where basically these companies are uh, connected with the, with the wider investor community, wider meaning both investors already in this space, so professional investors such as angels and VCs, as well as uh, 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 other accredited investors who are already investing but not necessarily in these early stage companies, as well as retail investors. So banks are, what do we see in the market is this banks are following this, certainly with interest. Uh, I think they're very cautious to see where this is going. Uh, but to your point, it will definitely affect them. Uh, in fact, uh, banks will be, once this gets rolling, they get more comfortable with this whole phenomenon of equity or investment crowdfunding. Uh, I expect that they will look for opportunities to enter in that space, either by working together, perhaps with a platform like ours, where you say, okay, well, we can actually help these companies in the early stage, not by 
by providing credit, but by actually helping them connect with, 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 the, with the wider investor community. And, and again, uh, to your point, there is a lot happening in different, uh, different industries. There's a huge shift in uh, how we are looking at crowdfunding in, let's say, real estate. And I know there's a, there's a couple of sessions during this conference as well about real estate and crowdfunding. Uh, yes, in tech, crowdfunding is, is kind of playing a, a big part, but now we see that this is expanding to other industries. There's, there's completely different products that, that are coming to market, in fact. Uh, some companies are, are using crowdfunding not just to, uh, let's say, fund their projects, but to launch entire new uh, product lines and, and companies. Uh, I met somebody, uh, who, who, and they're launching a new automobile, a car through crowdfunding, and there's so many different examples. Uh, how do you see industry within Canada uh, adopting crowdfunding? Uh, and are there any specific industries that you see growing faster? Uh, again, also from an industry perspective and also regional. You're based out of Vancouver. Uh, so give us some insight on uh, the industry in Vancouver, in the east, as well as in the west. Right. So so to your first point, and that's a very interesting one, is um, your point about it's not just about attracting the funding, but it's also about um, the introduction and creating awareness around the product and service of these companies. Now, this is what we already see happening with uh, with the companies that we're currently helping, is that um, they're companies who are already somewhere on the way, so they already attracted some capital from lead investors, but they're looking for opportunities to reach, reach out to a wider investor community and to close their round. Now, that's not... So it's not only to attract that, to get that uh, that, that uh, remaining finance financing, is also to bring it out to a much larger group, get people uh, 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 engaged by offering the opportunity to invest in their product. So, um, for example, we, uh, we 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 recently we finalized a, a video about what we're on, what we're doing ourselves, our platform. The company using is an uh, is a is an, uh, it's a craft brewery where we basically explain like, look, if you though this brewery as, an, as a beer enthusiast, you actually now have an opportunity to participate in this brewery. So not only are you investing in something that you know you're familiar with and you like it, you're actively supporting it and you own a piece of the of the company, right? And you will probably very likely tell your friends, hey, you know, I'm actually participating in this company. So the effect for, for companies, not only to raise the funds, but also to create awareness and to create brand champions turning investors into brand champions any other way around turning consumers into investors that is a, that is a phenomenon that we already see happening and I, I expect it to, uh, to to get bigger and bigger um, to your other question what do we see in Canada in difference between east and west I think it's too early to too early to tell. Uh, I think it's good to realize that we're really still only at the beginning of this this whole uh, emerging industry of investment crowdfunding um, I would say to that uh, that uh, the, the fact that we now got rules across Canada they're not the same so it's not it's not made as easy as it could have been but uh, at least we're we're, we're able to uh, companies are able to raise capital in the obviously in the province they're residing but by using multiple rules and combining them that's, that's we that's something that we as a platform facilitate mm-hmm. and that's what we've been doing with this this first transaction we launched today where we combine all these rules helping companies to truly reach out to Canadians from coast to coast. So you see differences in regulation. It's not, it's probably, it's not even east-west, uh, but I think that's that's kind of the key differences you see uh, across Canada. They're mainly from a regulatory perspective. In terms of industry development, yeah, it's, it's, it's only the beginning. 
And and on that, we've had some development, uh, and there's a, the government in Ontario, especially, has, has is just talking about a bill. So it's I think it's great to see that there's some kind of regulation that's coming into the industry, which is essential uh, for it to be uh, for it to be controlled and regulated in a way so that it benefits everybody. Uh, I had a few conversations with people uh, just yesterday at yesterday's event, uh, and there was uh, concern about risk, the amount of risk that crowdfunding poses to uh, people who are not wary of all the schemes, all the scams that are happening out there. So I think uh, we, we need to address those as well as we go on. Uh, from your presentation, I actually saw a slide that I needed to ask you about, is, is the one where you showed uh, how traditional businesses have been uh, funding themselves through family and friends and then they're growing. Tell us more about that. Right. So, yeah, so in that slide I was basically showing the traditional way of how companies to date get funded through their, through their evolution, basically. And in the beginning, companies are, when they got nothing yet, not much more than an idea or, or perhaps a promo product, you know, prototype product, um, they typically go to their uh, family, friends, uh, they put their own money in, uh, they may get an, an angel or a, uh, on board in that round. Then they move forward, they need more money, they need growth capital. Uh, typically, they will reach out to more angels, uh, they may try venture capital firms, but it's often very, still early for those companies. And then in the third, when they get moving, they're, expensing, uh, they're expanding, for, for example, taking their, their business international, um, they start engaging with, with VCs, private equity firms, and then, uh, and then sort of in the final step could be for a company to go public. Now, what crowdfunding is doing is, is basically re let's say reinventing this typical cycle of how companies get funded because now through crowdfunding you could actually at the very first stage where you typically reach out to people like family friends and you know people in your environment to who, who know you and are willing to invest is that you can already at that stage bring it out on uh, using uh, 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 new crowd uh, crowdfunding ways to reach out to a much larger group of investors. So, so from a company perspective, you have the opportunity to, at a much earlier stage, raise money from a from a larger group, bring your company and your idea to a true new capital market. And from an investor perspective, now investors have the opportunity to participate in what they believe may be the next Twitter. Uh, so they have the ability to participate in a much earlier stage, and I think that will really redefine the whole funding cycle of companies going through the different stages of development. Key, you know, I think it's good. Good, it's, it, this is very exciting. Where I think it's good to realize that uh, in Canada we have now the rules in place, uh, as mentioned, they're not harmonized yet, uh, but they will. Over time, I'm, I'm hopeful that will happen. Uh, and um, uh, But it's still early days. It will take time. This is not an overnight uh, development where all the crowds now say, hey, this is cool, I'm not going to invest in young companies. It's going to take time. We've seen it in other geographies, like in Europe, in the UK, in the Netherlands, other countries. We've seen now, where it's been around for five, six, seven years. We now see how it's really sort of getting to get traction and how it truly impacts this traditional funding cycle, where now angels and VCs say, hey, this is actually affecting me as well. So, uh, so it's uh, it's a process, and it's it's gonna take take time, but it's it's definitely moving in an, in a very in the right direction. It's very exciting. Thank you, Peter. And where can uh, our listeners get more information about what your company? 
Right, so they can be- definitely go to uh, frontfunder.com. That's our, our, our website, our platform. Uh, we provide information there to both companies, how they could get started, how this whole process works, as well as for investors. Uh, we also uh, have uh, uh, um, uh, a lot of information regarding regulation. Certainly in Canada we have these different rules, so both companies and investors can go to our website learn how it works, uh, learn what are the regulations are, uh, what they are, and uh, and basically help them along their, their process of either looking for funding as a company or looking for investment uh, opportunities as an investor. Thank you. Thank you very much, Peter. Uh, we were talking to Peter, Peter Paul Van Hooken. He's the founder and chief executive officer of FrontFunder. Uh, you can get more information on FrontFunder at frontfunderfundr.com. And that's all what we have time for in this episode of Innovation Times. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to the Innovation Times podcast. 